Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Thunderdome Gaming Society, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, JC, Megan Caruso, Masked Keaton, Andrew Liguori, Retro Overdrive, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog, Keith Gasper, Discimera, and GC Freak 898 The Saturnian. Your continued engagements and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the latest episode of Retro Hangover. Retro and classic gamers, welcome to the podcast where we are hung like heroes, harrowingly healing half shells heading horizons. This is Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copeland, with, as always, your host, Shane. Attack range of a dick What do you think the attack range of a dick dragon actually is? I feel like it would be pretty, pretty sizable, right? They got to have some reach. Yeah, but it'd probably be as slow as Donatello. Mm, that's true. I guess that is the trade off. Yeah. Yeah. You, you get a little bit more length and surprisingly less girth because I think a bow staff has less girth than a, than a katana. I mean, that's debatable, though. I think it depends on the cut. I suppose. <laughs> suppose that is true yes is it cut or uncut that's the real question ah when it comes to the bow staff wouldn't you all like to know yeah is it natural did you just pick it off the ground and find it or did you trim it down a little bit <laughs> just cut off that that extra extra wood that's right to make it look make it look better make it look bigger more aerodynamic you know yes yeah yes easier to clean true yes that is true yeah when you have a a, a more cut and trim bow staff yep from what I hear. Got to keep that bow staff nice and polished. Polish that bow staff. <laughs> uh, well, now that we're starting off in the gutter, which I suppose on some we're level adults. is probably <laughs> apropos given the whole sewer thing. <laughs> Put your bow staff in a sewer. That's right. <laughs> You're going to want to get that checked after, though. Fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, anyway, how, how are you doing, Chris? Holy shit, man. I, I don't know why I'm tired. So this is going to be a fucking fantastic episode because I'm ready to just. Well, now that I've hyped you up, it's going to suck. So now I've brought you back down. It's OK. Oh, great. <laughs> well, buckle up, everybody. I've been doing OK. I hope so. We'll see how things. What am I even talking about? Where am I going with this? I don't know. Shane, how are you doing? Uh, I'm just doing yeah. fine. Fine. I mean, fine. Fine is good. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm. <sighs> I'm doing all right. Yeah, just yeah, I don't know. I guess it's, it sounds like neither one of us have a fucking lot to say about that. So not really. That's great. This makes for fantastic content. We should probably just talk about video games. That's what we know. That's what we're good at. Right. So <laughs> right. So what, what have you what have you been playing? Let's talk about that. 
Yeah, okay. Mostly the Final Fantasy V for Job Fiesta. That's mm. what I've been playing whenever I've been having an opportunity to play a little bit of video games. I'm in World 3 as of the time of this recording. By the time you hear this, I hope I'm a little bit further. Uh, just because life at work is life at work. And it's getting a little bit busier. Uh, they're starting to throw thing, more things at me. I mean, they're not paying me more yet, but... That is supposed to happen at some point. Shocker. I know, right? It's just like, I don't even say I'm, I have it all that bad. I'm not going to complain. I have a pretty easy job, but I am getting more stuff to do. And I'm just like, shit, they're, they're figuring this out. <laughs> they're on to me. They're on to me. Some people have been on to me and they're just like, they're cool though. So they respect. They don't care. I hope at least they probably talk shit behind my back because well, I still love them. I, I think they're cool. I, again, I don't know where I'm going. What with does this. this have to do with video games, Chris? God damn it! I know. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Other than that, <laughs> I've been playing Xevious ah. from uh, on on Nintendo mm. because that has been our game of the month for the high score challenge. Which, if you're listening to this, you still have time to get in there and try and beat my score. I think is this in August or is this still in June? You may not have time, but I've been playing. <laughs> uh, I've been playing Xevious for the high score challenge of Zune. How did you manage to completely miss the actual month that we're in? You're just like, is, is, it this, July? is this August or June? Neither. It's fucking neither. <laughs> I told you I'm tired. <laughs> it's fucking July. What do you, what day is it? What year is it? Okay. So if you're listening, if you're listening to this, you have seven days to compete with the high score challenge. I think I did pretty good. Holy shit. Am I being thrown for a loop here? <laughs> this uh, is, this is great. Good but times. I'm playing Xevious, and you can join in the fun if you get into our Discord, which you can find at linktr.ee slash retro hangover. And click on the Discord button if you have Discord. And join in our high score challenge for this month of Xevious. We hope to see you compete, because that's why I've been playing. And the music is awful, but for some reason it's hypnotizing and just kind of got me in a zone. And I did all right with that hypnotization. And just... I don't know, man. There's there's a Zen quality to it that you can just relax. I can understand why it was so popular in Japan for a while, considering this game came out in like 1983 originally. I don't think we got it until for the NES, at least to like 88 or 89. So like people are like, what the fuck is this? But in, in 1983, it was a big deal and it was really good for a 1983 game. Mm. And I, I, I am enjoying myself. There's some pretty well-defined shmup characteristics in there. Like, and for being what it is and how old it is. And yeah, like it's there's a lot of elements to that. And it's fun. Well, how about you, Shane? I need to get off this before I just sound like too much of a bumbling idiot. Please help me. <laughs> sure. Let's see, what have I been up to in my quest to continue cutting down on my steam backlog, um, which has been greatly aided by the introduction of my wonderful steam deck? I jumped back back in. Because I started playing this like I looked at the last play and I think it was like 2016 or something. I reinstalled and fired back up Darksiders Genesis mm. because it was something that looked like I'd re something I'd really enjoy. And for whatever reason, I just fell off of it after about three hours the first time around. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to get back into this and started a brand new save file because it was one of those deals of like, I don't remember what the hell I was doing. And it was a smart decision because I've really gotten into it and um it's it's a lot of fun so every the interesting thing about the darksiders series is that every game is different they're not the same formula which i think is refreshing throws some people off but i actually kind of like it the the first darksiders was just it's fucking zelda it's straight up 
like 3D Zelda and you could tell like it was heavily inspired by that kind of style of gameplay and it worked really well. Then uh, Darksiders 2 took it a little bit more of a pseudo open world kind of approach um, with some of the same mechanics, but it was a little bit more akin to maybe like an Assassin's Creed ish kind of thing. I have not played three, although I've heard it's not as good um, as the first two, unfortunately. But evidently it tried to take a little bit of like a Souls-like combat approach, and I don't know if they pulled that off maybe as well as they'd hoped, but can't really speak to that one. But Darksiders Genesis is an isometric action RPG, which primarily was built to be co-opt because you have two different characters you play as war and strife two of the the horsemen of the apocalypse Mm. in the darksiders lore but if you're playing solo then you just control both of them and you can swap back and forth between the two Um, you can just hot swap who you're playing as and it's it's a lot of fun there's a lot of like metroidvania style elements to it too where you know you have to go back to previous levels once you get a certain item or a new weapon and you know, open up new areas or get collectibles, things like that. It's got a ton of upgrade systems in there, uh, which is really cool. Uh, Like cores drop from enemy creatures that you can slot into a skill tree, basically, to get like certain bonus effects and things like that. So it's actually really cool. There's some janky things about it that can get frustrating at times. But overall, um, I've been having a lot of fun with it. So I think I've got roughly 18 hours into it now. And I suspect I'll probably get about that much more out of it. So a pretty, pretty decent little chunk of time. That's primarily what I've been up to. I've still been Mm. throwing in a little bit of Guild Wars 2 here and there, just kind of casually leveling my necromancer. Also firing up the likes of vampire survivors to check out the, the latest patch contents and get some of those new achievements and unlock some new characters and stuff like that so uh but yeah that's uh i think that's most of it right now you may need to do an addendum to the vampire survivors guidance if they they keep adding content possibly yeah i don't know we we might need to do a follow-up like once they get to uh version 1.0 i guess sounds exciting i might have to actually play this game at some point i have it (laughs) yes you do i don't like oh i'm like oh i got it i can join the fun i can't got too much other shit going on that's true fuck's sake i'm gonna be just be bitching this entire episode aren't i oh god well to save you all from my just incoherent rambling and bitching for about three to five minutes maybe longer well no who knows how long do they how long the brief they're great by the way what am i doing anyway (laughs) we have a brief history that we're going to be talking about for our game today which is teenage mutant ninja turtles to the arcade game, which you have to talk about the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game when you're talking about this game, of course. We are specifically talking about the NES one, but because I don't know of a bigger Turtles fan in the world other than your dear host, Shane Kosky, the Dick Dragon himself. In fact, I think the Dick Dragon has a bandana over his eyes that is blue, uh, which is Leonardo, the best Ninja Turtle. I will mm. let Shane take the brief history for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game for the NES.
There is absolutely no denying that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were a bona fide phenomenon in the late 80s and early 1990s. As with most kid-centric franchises of the time, its primary goal was not to necessarily provide high-quality entertainment, but rather to create as many merchandising opportunities as humanly possible. The Turtles were no exception, releasing a veritable tidal wave of toys, VHS tapes, breakfast cereals, comic books, and of course, video games. The so amazing they could never be considered evil Konami were fortunate enough to nab the TMNT licensing rights and in 1987 released an action platformer for the NES under their Ultra Games publishing brand. While the game sold tremendously well, many found it to be confusingly obtuse and exceedingly difficult, aspects that would eventually lead to the title being largely regarded as just a bad game. While today the notion of a terrible tie-in product is not in the least bit surprising, it's even expected, this was Konami in the 80s. Anything less than exceptional was simply not acceptable. It was around this same time the world saw the rise of the beat-em-up. Double Dragon and Golden Axe had birthed a genre that was rapidly gaining popularity, particularly in the arcade scene. It wouldn't take long for absolutely no way they could ever do wrong Konami to catch wind of this and look to jump on the bandwagon, or, in this case, the turtle wagon. Seeing as the Ninja Turtles featured four visually distinct characters, the genre seemed to be a perfect fit for the lucrative franchise. This capitalist match made in heaven would be unleashed upon arcades on October 11th, 1989 in North America and Europe, titled Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, respectively, and June of 1990 in Japan, where it would be known as TMNT Super Kame Ninja. Kamehameha. Unsurprisingly, the game was a massive success, quickly becoming Konami's highest-grossing arcade game ever. Demand was so high, Konami would have to outsource to other manufacturers just to keep up. Increasing the fervor, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles The Movie would see theatrical release in March of 1990. By April of that same year, Konami had sold 25,000 cabinets worldwide, and still had not met the demand. Wanting to strike while the proverbial iron was hot, Konami did their best to bring the same arcade experience to the home console. As added incentives to convince folks to slap down their scratch, Konami would add two entirely new levels, while also extending some of the original arcade stages. If that were not enough, Konami struck a promotional deal with Pizza Hut, including a coupon good for one free personal pan pizza in every copy of the game. The game, rebranded as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 The Arcade Game, would see release on December 7th of 1990 in Japan, with a near-simultaneous release in North America on December 14th, just in time for that Christmas shopping season. Europe, however, would not get their release until November 14th, 
of the following year. The game would receive similar positive commercial and critical response to its arcade counterpart, with Japanese gaming publication Famitsu being the one real outlier, giving the title a lukewarm 26 out of 40. And that is your brief history of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 The Arcade Game. So I can't imagine what it would be like to be seven or eight years old in 1989, because I sure shit wasn't. And going to the arcade and seeing the Ninja Turtles in a four player cabinet just there. Uh, yeah. Oh, that would have been nuts. Fucking mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, granted, 89, I was what, like three. So, you know, I can't really. You weren't playing it either. Can't yeah. really say. I mean, even then, though, like when I was old enough to play, you know, an arcade cabinet at like a, well, actually like a Pizza Hut, unsurprisingly, or something like that. Of course, it was still fucking amazing. Like being a, a big fan of the cartoon show and everything, the graphical fidelity of the arcade cabinet and seeing them brought to life in an art style that was incredibly reminiscent of the TV show and everything was just it was fantastic. Can we just take a moment to pause and almost take a moment of silence. I don't, I don't think I'm in the mood for a moment of silence, but a theoretical moment of silence mm. for the death of the sit down pizza hut. Oh, I true. I miss that. Like you don't miss that because it's like really cheap in the chain restaurants. And like, you're like, Oh, this is so lame. I just want it delivered and eat it at home. And now I look back and I'm like getting those little personal pan pizzas. That was a highlight of life. Oh, for and sure. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is such an important part of that highlight. Yeah, definitely. Even though it was more book it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just I mean, just the fact that like they made such a thing out of it, right? Like they they brought this and granted, it's like this tiny little fucking pizza which, you know, are of of dubious quality perhaps. I've never said It was better back then. It was probably better back then. I've never been a huge fan of Pizza Hut crust. I always think it's weirdly spongy, but that's a other topic for another time. Yeah, that's true. But they brought it out in this actual whole ass like cast iron fucking thing. Like it it was like they were bringing out some gourmet dish to you, which was insane, but it was it was great when you were a kid. To have that just brought out to you and then like just the whole man, the whole like aesthetic of like old school, like pizza huts with like, did you have the ones where they had the uh, like the stained glass pizza hut lights? Oh, yeah. The lamps that came down. Yes. Like, oh, they were so oh, like I can picture it in my head. I'm just getting all sorts of warm and fuzzy and stuff. <laughs> I miss it. That's Americana that it just is. disappeared that we don't have anymore. And it's sad. It is. It is unfortunate. Oh, well, great. Now we've made everybody sad. We're sorry, <laughs> but we're stick with us while we talk about turtles. That that should make you happy until we start talking maybe. about this game. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe speaking about this game. We probably have personal experiences about it. Mm. We kind of already went into it. I guess I'll go first here because, you know, Shane being the turtle fanatic and we just heard him say the brief history. So I think it's more appropriate that I start this section off. My own personal experiences are I didn't I never played this in the arcade, dude. I never really? saw this in the arcade. Never. That's no. surprising. I think one of the biggest reasons why is like around the time I really started first going to the arcade was around 91, 92 when I was like six, seven years old. Mm -hmm. And what was the big game back then? It was Street Fighter 2. And then mm -hmm. all these Street Fighter games or like the light gun games or th those kind of things. As big of a Turtles fan as I was when I was six and seven years old, 
I just I don't remember seeing this in the arcade. But what I do remember is this game coming out for the NES, specifically coming out for the NES. I remember renting it. I remember playing it in my house. I remember playing it at friend's house. I never remember playing this at my own house, owning it. I don't remember permanently having this game. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. I don't think I did. But I distinctly remember playing this game and playing this game a lot because I had the first Turtles game and hopefully one day we get to circle back around and talk about it. Maybe not because a lot of people consider it bad, but I think a lot of people are are revisiting it and discovering that it's a little bit better than what they remember. Mm -hmm. Maybe not extraordinary, but like not a terrible game. But again, I'd love to get back to it and figure that out. But anyway, as a kid, you were probably immensely disappointed with how that game turned out. So when you saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, even if you didn't know anything about the arcade game, like the real arcade game, what you were getting in terms of its visual presentation, in terms of just the atmosphere and even the marketing, the cover of it and everything, because the the original was more geared towards the comic design. Right. And this one just fully embraced the cartoon. Every kid I knew wanted to at least play this game or play this game with their friend because it was two player co-op where the first one wasn't. And this was such an exciting game to go out there and play. Maybe we didn't know any better and I'll, (laughs) you know, uh, but you know, this was a game that, that a lot of people are excited for. And I can understand why a lot of people have a lot of fond memories for, because I think this was the right game at the right time. How about you, Shane? Yeah, actually, my my experience is somewhat similar in that, shockingly, I never owned this for my NES. Given the the Turtles fan that I am, you would have thought that I would have had it. I did end up renting it several times from our, our local video store. I do recall that. And honestly, I think my experiences with it as a rental may have been what caused me to ultimately never actually look into buying it or more accurately oh, wow. having my parents buy it for me i guess even back then it just it felt too difficult and like not and as a result like not particularly fun to play like i i never made it that far into this game ever and so i think maybe that was part of it i was just like i rented it uh, you know a handful of times and then it was just like i i'm not i don't know i'm just not feeling this and so i don't know maybe that's why but a, a lot of that's just conjecture at this point but the other funny thing about it is like upon reflection i don't think my kid brain ever made the connection between this game and the arcade version i think i always just thought of them as two completely different entities even though this is mm. a port of the arcade and the only thing i could think of is at the time as a kid, I, I didn't know what the hell a port was. Let's be honest. No. I mean, you might have. I don't know. But <laughs> I certainly didn't. No, 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 I didn't. And no. so to me, it was a completely different thing. I never made that connection that they were like as similar as they are. Could also be because, you know, the, the arcade version just looks about a thousand times better. But we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, that's that's pretty much the the gist of my experience with this. Like handful of rentals but never really stuck with it Hmm. yeah i mean i can understand that like why people didn't stick with it i think it was just i I mean a lot of people do love this game so i i I know that why they didn't stick with it but either way i think we have some really good stories about how we were attached to this game when we were kids and this game has a story as well (laughs) 
And does it? That story is actually, I think, I think the story is pretty good. Really? Yeah, I do. Okay. I was not expecting that. All right. Well, go on. I'd like to hear your thoughts about the the plot of this game. Then it's what you should get out of a beat 'em up. Let's let's be real here. Okay, when we play a lot of these older NES games, and we haven't really covered a game with a really elaborate plot in a long time. We've been saying this a lot for our plot writing. So I think maybe my standards have been lowered just because <laughs> we, we haven't had to say anything. But even after playing a game like Shredder's Revenge recently, where you look at the way they structure their plot, this is ex- pretty much exactly the same Yeah, in terms of the, the storytelling. So do you, if you want me to knock it, I mean, it's easy to knock it. It's simple. It's not like complicated, but you don't want it to be complicated. It's a fucking beat em up. OK, and it's there. Well, I didn't want you to knock it. I'm just curious as to yeah. why you said it was good. It was good. Well, here's here's why it's good. It's fan servicey. It covers all the bases it needs to. And it pays homage to the cartoon. Mm. That's why you're playing this game ultimately. Right. Because you're a fan of the Ninja Turtles. And in 1987, when Konami came out with the Turtles game, for the NES, all they really had was the comics because the car- the cartoon came out in 1987. Right. So they couldn't really take advantage of what was going on in the cartoon to the fullest extent. Here they did it. I mean, you're talking about a game where you open up like April's apartments on fire and you got to go help April and then April gets kidnapped by Shredder and you're fighting Bebop and Rocksteady. And eventually you save April and then Shredder kidnaps Splinter. And then you see Splinter get carried off in the beginning of the stage and then you have to save him and he's like tied up to a fence or something like that. And they have these little segues and these little these little cutscenes in between stages that, yeah, I mean, were mostly popularized by Ninja Gaiden. I mean, they're not as elaborate, of course, but they're somewhat inspired and they're probably lifted right from the arcade game itself. I mean, let's be real, but I think it's well executed. Like it's it's not anything superb. It's not anything that's superfluous or anything like that, but it's it's what you expect from a beat em up. It was doing more than beat em ups are doing in terms of storytelling for a long time. I mean, you even look at a lot of beat em ups, even the most prolific of all time, even like really Turtles in Time. I, I think this game does a better job than Turtles in Time in terms of just a general plot and, and what it's doing and what it's trying to tell where Turtles in Time just kind of rushes you through various stages. Now, yeah, Turtles in Time does some good stuff, but you look at like Final Fight and Streets of Rage 2 and it's just like you go from stage to stage to stage. There's really no reasoning for what you're doing. But at least here in Turtles 2, you're getting it. Mm-hmm. And I, I can appreciate that. I can respect that. They're trying to give you incentive or they're trying to explain what you're doing. And it helps provide into this fan service cartoon feel. And actually, in a way, because, you know, there's still images in between these levels, kind of sort of paying homage to the comics, kind of. I know I'm reaching here, Mm. but it's making you feel like you're part of the experience that you enjoyed enough to play this game for. And so I can say that the plot and writing for this game is actually really decent, all things considered. And I'll give it major props for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't I actually don't really disagree with you. I was just more curious as to whether you were going to say some like unex, un, unexpected shit of like, this is fantastic writing. I'd be like, okay, please explain. No, but <laughs> no, uh, but no, but no, I think, I think you're right. Like in service of giving people what they ultimately wanted, I think it really nails it. Cause I mean, let's be real. Like you didn't have to, Konami didn't have to do much, right? No, 
I think they did exactly what needed to be done here. To your point, you know, they hit all of those major, you know, plot points, all of the recognizable things. You get the Technodrome, you've got Shredder and Krang, Bebop and Rocksteady. You know, you have several different levels in different areas of New York. The NES version also gives you Central Park, which you didn't have in the arcade. So, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, overall, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And and having those little interstitial cut scenes, if you want to call them that, they are basically taken directly from the arcade game. But I think that they were brought over pretty competently and and having those big like you know full screen pixel artwork of uh you know things like the technodrome and shredder flying out of a broken apartment window and stuff like that is pretty fucking cool so ultimately as kids all we wanted was to feel like we were a part of the ninja turtles universe and i think this game does a really great job of doing that it accomplishes it in spades yeah for sure which is not something we might be able to attribute to the next section, which is gameplay. Mm. And um, we're going to spend a lot of time here. Right. We are going to spend a lot of time here. So get comfortable. Shane, yeah. I started off the previous two sections, and I know you're going to have a lot to say as well. So go ahead and kick it off. Sure. So, all right. Initially, I was going to be probably a lot more harsh on this than I think I actually am, but I'm going to take what is scientifically known as the Oreo approach in that I will start with a negative. I I will have a positive in there and then, you know, maybe I'll end on a negative and maybe I'll throw a a one little positive on the end just as a bonus. Oreo tower. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. The controls by and large actually feel pretty good as far as controlling your turtle. It's pretty snappy. It's pretty responsive, which of course is critical for a game like this, you know, like a beat em up. It's kind of necessary. It is an NES game, so the input is not exactly super complex. You've got move, jump and attack. You can perform jump kicks by hitting your attack midair and you can pull off a super move, which is kind of an upwards spinning attack with your weapon by hitting the jump and attack buttons in quick succession. Not simultaneously, I might add, even though that might be something that would make more sense to do, but that actually doesn't work consistently at all. It's more of like a very quick succession of button hits to pull it off consistently. And for me, and this is where I think a lot of our discussion is going to center, I have some other points, but I wanna get on this because I think it's the most important part of, of the gameplay section here. This is where this whole game breaks down for me, like bar none. There is no penalty for using your super move whatsoever. And in games like this, you you generally lose like a little bit of your life bar or have a limited number of uses or need to build up like a charge or something in order to use a super. But not here. You can just spam it forever. And considering that your super move does four points of damage where your normal attacks do two and most enemies you're going to come across in the game have a grand total of four hit points each. It seems like a no brainer then that the best strategy to beating the game is to simply use nothing but your super with some exceptions for maybe some of the boss encounters. Wait, 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 wait. How do you know how many hit points the enemies have? I I did some research. Because oh. <laughs> it's not displayed. It is not. No, you don't actually know that. It never tells you that in game, but I, I did a little bit of digging. Okay. And so, like, with all of that being said, right, like, how, like, why even have normal attacks at all? 
right? It seems like superfluous at that point, especially, especially. And this is the thing that sticks in my fucking craw about this game. When normal attacks in like a quick succession consistently miss enemies. Now, I, I don't know if this is a bug because it sure as fuck doesn't happen in the arcade version. I, I double checked this or maybe enemies have like a built in invincibility frames that I'm not aware of, like after they get hit or something. But for whatever reason, it's very, very easy to see just right from the first level that attempting to punch a foot soldier twice in a row damn near always results in the second attack just not connecting. You'll just whiff. And then that often leaves you open yeah. for free cheap shots. Right. And that just it, I, I can't I can't overstate how bad of a fucking bumble this is in a beat em up game where everything revolves around the combat. And I, I'm going to stop my rant here for Chris to jump in. Yeah. Like, look, my favorite game of all time is a beat em up. It is Streets of Rage 2. Mm-hmm. I love good beat em ups. This is just terrible beat em up design. Mm-hmm. This goes against everything that a beat em up should be. Because like the uh, the fundamental basis of a beat em up is to sa- have satisfying connections with your hits for things to at least make sense. Even if you get interrupted right in the middle of a combo, at least you can kind of inter- you can kind of understand the rules like but at least you can do a combo. And to Shane's point, you do a basic attack, which should be the bread and butter of your offensive repertoire. Mm-hmm. It should be that. But as soon as you attack. And it's like an invincibility frame comes over the enemy and they can hit you. Now, you can immediately hit them after they can make a connection with you. But that it it artificially increases the difficulty in a way that it shouldn't. Now, there are certain enemies where you can combo it. They're not natural combos. But when you can do that, it almost feels a bit cheap, especially with like robots and the uh, jumping sword foot soldiers, because you can combo them pretty easily. Like there's there's certain different rules for certain foot soldiers which in a way i do appreciate but the most basic enemy in the game your your basic foot soldier the purple foot soldier the first one you see in the game you should be able to combo them with no problem that's how you introduce people into a beat-em-up and say okay here's some of the things you can do and the very first enemy should be an enemy that you should be able to defeat with the most basic of attacks without getting damaged It should bring a level of comfort to the player that doesn't happen here. And then if your response is to do the next best best attack is a jump attack, the most basic enemy of the game is going to knock you out of the air. Mm -hmm. The most basic one with almost 100 (laughs) percent hit rate. Yeah, like it's going to happen, (laughs) which frankly is uh, an argument against shredder's revenge also i i hated that that was a design choice that they made but we're not ah. talking about that game today it was apparently a conscious one because of this game probably yeah and if you're a fighting not a fighting game if you're a beat-em-up connoisseur you naturally stay away from the special move because of what you said there's always a health penalty mm-hmm. for doing a special move so if you haven't played this game in forever you're going to try and stay away from it because you are going to you believe you're going to incur that penalty But what it tells you from the very first foot soldier that you see is that if you don't use your special move to dispatch of every single enemy because you can kill them all in one hit with your special move, like quickly, yeah, extremely quickly, 
then you're going to be spending time and losing health. So this game says use your special move. And if you don't, you're a fucking chump, which is probably the epitome of horrible beat em up game design. It's just bad. There's there's no way around it. I'll pass it back off to you. Yeah, I would say like the unfortunate thing, too, right, is this is, as we've said multiple times, a port of the arcade version. And if you go and play or or watch someone play the arcade version of this game, the combat is so much better. It's so much better. And one of the things that I am mystified as to why this was omitted from this game, I feel like it's a stretch to say it was a technical limitation. Maybe, maybe the NES just couldn't handle this. I don't know. I think it's deliberate. But the throws. Why the fuck are the throws gone? Oh, like now, granted, the throws were not quite how they were implemented in Turtles in Time, which I think was an improvement, but they did. Barely. They just cut kind of, well, barely. Yes. But you could be a little bit more consistent. Like if you knew how to pull them off, you could be very purposeful in how you did it. Now, the arcade yes. game doesn't do that because it's literally just it randomly happens when you're meleeing an enemy. But the point is, is that it still happens like you can you can be comboing to your point, like, you know, just a basic foot soldier. And pretty often part of that will end with the turtle just kind of throwing them over their shoulder. And it has this flow to the combat, which feels good. And you don't have those weird, you know, iframe moments where you're just whiffing for for no reason. That one was strange to me. The other thing that I do want to point out is and I don't know how you felt about this. Hmm. I just I felt like pretty much all of the boss encounters were generally pretty boring. They all have like yes, one, maybe two attacks. And ultimately, they're just like big damage sponges with a lot of HP. So what ends up happening is it feels like a lot of the difficulty from these encounters comes more from overcoming the game's shortcomings in regards to combat mechanics and less about a complex like boss strategy. Like most of the time, the air quotes strategy to damn near all of the bosses in this game is just either, you know, cheese the super or dive kick. jump kick a lot. Yeah, dive kick. That's that's pretty much it. The jump kick feels a little weird, too, because, again, you're going back to any other beat em up, even with Double Dragon. I think like Double Dragon 2 is a perfect example of what's wrong with this game. It's because everything there for all of Double Dragon 2's flaws, and it has quite a few, a jump kick in Double Dragon, as hard as it is to execute, at least feels more natural mm-hmm. than what you're doing here. Because you'll jump, and as soon as you hit the attack button, it is a beeline in a 45 degree angle to the enemy. Right. And it takes a while to get used to. Now, you can take advantage of this, specifically for the bosses, and you're going to need to for the bosses. Because a lot of them can just knock you out of the air like the foot soldiers. They don't give a shit. Uh, Bebop is an incredibly notorious one that just does not give a fuck about your feelings. <laughs> and and Rocksteady to the to a similar extent. Like the first two bosses, I think, are some of the hardest two bosses in the game. Mm-hmm. Once you actually learn how to play the game, uh, just because you can't go up to them and spam your special because uh, they will they'll kick you away from them. And then when you try to do a jump attack, they both have attacks that will knock you out of the air. Even when it comes to the boss battles, they're extremely inconsistent because once you get past Bebop and Rocksteady and you make it to, uh, was it Tora in the in the ice level, Mm -hmm. like Tora is a fucking joke. Yeah. And even like some of the like whatever the rock monster is 
He's a joke, too, if you use your special. That's where you can start to spam your special. You hit the special, you run away. Hit the special, run away. And that just seems to be the pattern. It's either death by jump kick or death by special move. Baxter Stockton is a fucking joke. Doesn't matter which form he's in. Uh, it's just jump kick, jump kick, jump it's kick. It's still annoying, and it's, it's a miserable excuse. It's annoying, but it's, like, mindless. Yeah, yeah, it's not difficult. It's just, yeah. No. And even like the and the final boss, uh, Krang and Shredder, that's just all learning how to jump kick. And now you can do some things with Krang that are a little interesting. That took me a while to notice their patterns, which I think is actually pretty cool. I like the boss fight with Krang. I think that was cool. But all Shredder is is just jump kicking the shit out of him and hoping to not get hit by his one hit kill like lightning beam. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, I'm glad they brought back later. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. But th- that's that's this game. It's just repetitive nonsense. All you do is you do one move over and over and over again in order to achieve victory with very limited examples. I think one of those some of those examples are those stupid little robots that fire the circle beams at you mm-hmm. that look like crab walkers. Yeah. You know what? I, that's why I actually appreciated them, because you had to think about how to approach them differently than a lot of the other enemies, because you just couldn't walk up to them and do the special move like you could with the foot soldiers, at least not as easily. Uh, the Mausers, yeah, they're they're kind of lame, but. You had to approach them slightly differently as well because they could be comboed. But if you didn't do it fast enough, they would lash onto your arm and uh, cause a little bit of damage. Oh, and before I turn it back over to you, mm. can I just say, I just want to say it's bullshit when the foot soldiers grab you. It causes damage. <laughs> yeah, almost automatic. A life, a life pellet of damage. Automatic. It's bullshit. Agreed. <laughs> Fucking bullshit. <laughs> Yeah. And the funny thing is, is all of those things that you're talking about, especially the grabs from like the foot soldiers or getting bitten by one of the Mausers or something like that, just further incentivizes the player to never use their melee attacks ever. No, no. Which just feels bad. Um, And so I, I really I only had one minor point as far as gripes go, I think, for gameplay. And then I'd like to, as I said, I'll, I'll sandwich this with a positive note at the end. Oh, OK. Um. Just a really minor point, but I, I really, really wish that the turtles moved just a little bit faster. <laughs> and this is actually something that could be translated over to the arcade version even, although I will say it's a little less noticeable there because the sprites are bigger. But the walk speed to me just feels like borderline sluggish. And when you don't have an option to run like you get in later games like Turtles in Time or what have you. It just it feels just so slow to like have to walk at a leisurely pace across each level. And I know I know that, you know, when you compare this to other contemporaneous beat em ups like Double Dragon, what have you, it's the same deal. I I, I didn't like it there either, I guess is what I'm saying. (laughs) I actually don't think that would have been as bad if it wasn't for the fact that these stages just drag on. Yeah. And they're just way too long. If they were 75% of the length they were, Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have cared how slow they moved. It's just, it gets to a point where I'm just like, can you just fucking end, please? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Either, either tighten up the levels or, which is funny also, given that one of the selling points, quote unquote, was that Konami extended several of the stages. That part did not age well. Yeah, no, not really. It did not age well. Um, did so, you okay, any, what's your positives? Yeah, I was say, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on before I kind of cap this section off? Or Well, I mean, we're going to move to the positives. If this is an Oreo, it, it is. Then there's a negative to come afterwards. So if I have anything additional, we'll get to that. Oh, no, no. I mean, like the, the negative was all sandwiched in the middle, hopefully. But 
it's just, I don't know. Just one, the negative is just like, if you don't know that the special move can be abused, then all you're going to be doing is jump kicking in this game. Mm -hmm. And that's infuriating. And it's, it's sad that that's what the game essentially boils down to. I think for most people is all you're going to be doing is learning how to time your jump kicks really, really well. I don't know. You can get good at them. So I'm not going to completely shit on it. I think the jump kicks, once you learn how to abuse them, they're they're fine. But again, this comes down to a game that essentially the the selling point for me on the on the gameplay here is just, hey, learn to abuse our systems, which I guess technically is the same in any single beat em up when I really think about it. Mm. Maybe that leads into your positives. Uh, not really. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, fuck me. Yeah, that's eh, fine. So no, I'll, I'll go ahead and end this on a somewhat positive note. As far as gameplay is concerned, I actually really did enjoy the more sort of dynamic nature that a lot of the levels in this game uh, have. And by this, I mean the extra attention that went into how some of the enemies are introduced onto the playing field, you know, like Mausers bursting forth from brick walls or burrowing up from under the pavement. Or foot soldiers like swinging box truck doors open and jumping out onto the street. Yes. Or the or the white tigers coming to life and leaping out of like the wall art in the later levels. Like that's really fucking cool. And when you compare that mm. to something like, say, Ninja Gaiden, which came out only a year before this, where all of the enemies generally just kind of are there. They just sort of appear out of thin air as you traverse through the stage. This is a really cool kind of additional level of immersion that you didn't necessarily have in some you know, previous games. So I do have to give them credit for that. I thought that was pretty cool. No, I agree. I also think that the the surfing levels or the, the power board or whatever the fuck they're on, mm. those levels are are tolerable. Yeah, I actually like those. Didn't think they were too difficult. I, I thought they were rather balanced. I, I do think you bring up a good point. I, I And I, what I want to bring up, too, is levels with environmental hazards. Mm. They make them feel a bit fresh. I think the Technodrome level, uh, the last level, unfortunately, is one of the better levels in the game. Mm -hmm. Change it up with a lot of different environmental effects. The enemies are rather varied throughout the entire level. And I do appreciate the fact that this game has a variance of enemy types for you to dispatch. I think it has quite a bit of variance for you to consider and, and have a strategy for when you really think about it. Even like how many different foot soldiers they have. And there's a different approach for every single one, even though you can just walk up and special them and kill them. <laughs> Like when you think of foot soldiers and Mausers and the two different robots who I don't know the names to those those ninjas that throw kunais at you, the environmental effects, even though in stage six, they're, they kind of uh, fuck them. <laughs> but like a technodrome that you could you have to avoid these balls that come down an elevator and the lasers that you have to avoid. There's some appreciation I have for that. There's some real effort that's put into that. And you can bitch and says, say it's bullshit. But I think it actually that's a fair challenge. When it's all said and done, it's not complete bullshit. It is part of the, the game's challenge for you to learn and to adjust to. So in terms of level design in certain spots of this game, because, again, I think this game just kind of drags on and is too bland for most of it. But there are parts here that I'm like, yeah, they actually put in a lot of effort in order in order to make this very cohesive and 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 fun other than just killing enemies and i can appreciate that i think that that's something to kind of lift up and positively say about it yeah yeah for sure so i suppose that leads us into the next section which um not to like 
lead with negativity, but it is interesting that you mentioned the word bland because I'm going to bring that up here in this next section, which is the graphics. So I guess I'll go ahead and kick this one off since you just sort of finished up. Uh, So contrary to what I just said, let me start by saying that I I honestly need to give Konami credit and I pains me to say that now, but I do need to give them credit for what they managed to pull off porting the arcade game to the NES. By all accounts, the game actually looks and more importantly, runs pretty well. Yeah. And of particular note here is actually the distinct, like noticeable lack of sprite flicker and slowdown. What? Whoa, 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 what? I didn't see much at all, but maybe that was just my experience. So the latter, I agree with you. There's not much slowdown, but sprite flicker. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. Okay. well, that might maybe that was a difference. I don't know. I I actually didn't seem to notice much, but maybe that was a difference in how we were playing. Yeah, it's I was going to talk about the sprite flicker, particularly on the bridge with the the spear throwing foot soldiers. Mm. They make it her. They it just it's horrible at that point. But I'll let you continue. Well, okay. so at the very least, the slowdown thing, right, because that was always very prevalent in a lot of NES titles. And so not having that and having the game run consistently well, definitely. A plus. And I think a lot of that was achieved largely by paring down the number of objects and enemies that are on the screen at any given time, um, especially compared to the arcade version. If you do a one to one, you can see a very stark difference. But I think it was done intelligently. So if you know, if you weren't sitting there and looking at a side by side, I, I don't think there was ever a time where it felt like the level was too Spartan, like there wasn't enough going on. So I think they managed to pull that off pretty well. Yeah. I'm curious before I move on to my other points, though, I'm curious about your point on the on the flicker thing. I just thought the flicker was bad, like the entire game. Mm. Now, I was I was playing on original hardware. I don't know how you were playing the game. Mm. That might be that might be why <laughs> might be why to the game's credit. I am happy and I didn't play this co-op, so I have no idea what it would look like with another turtle on there. But when you have three foot soldiers on screen at the same time while doing different things, I think that's to be commended. I thought that was a really good thing for the NES, yeah. especially in 90 for them to pull off that. Yeah, I understand that's later in the NES's lifespan, but this isn't like a 91, 92, 93 game after the SNES came out. And we started seeing some really crazy shit mm-hmm. from the NES. This was before that. And I was like, OK, and there's no slowdown and you get your three foot soldiers. They're all doing independent things. But yeah, there's a lot of flicker. And especially when they're trying to throw objects at you, like the flicker becomes a lot more noticeable. It it doesn't become unbearable, but it does like, wow, there is an enormous amount of flicker here. Now, to the game's credit, as you said, there is no slowdown. And I think it's more important to have a game at a consistent speed rather than have the sprites flicker themselves, because you know where the enemy is. You can figure that out. Right. Even though it's a little annoying that they go in and out in terms of their animation. I'd rather have that temporarily than have the game just come down to a crawl. Agreed. So, yeah, 100 percent that disagree on the on the flicker thing. And that might be because of the way we played this game. But we'll 100 percent agree on the fact that the the, the lack of slowdown was an impressive feat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I I think we could pretty safely put that in the category of, you know, I, uh, you know, Full disclosure, played this on an emulator, so maybe some of those things were not quite as egregious as playing it on original hardware. So moving on from that, though, I will say that I think actually many of the environments actually look pretty great. I really, really like the fire effect in the first level at the bottom of the screen. 
I don't know about yeah, was you nice. as a kid, but I always thought that that was going to hurt me. I don't, I don't think I ever tried to stand in it. <laughs> it doesn't hurt you, by the way. No, but I think it did in an arcade, actually. Uh, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't recall that part. So maybe maybe my okay. maybe my my hesitancy was warranted. I don't know. But I always thought that that looked really cool, though. I, I do have to be honest. I feel like in some ways they kind of like really front loaded a lot of the bells and whistles. And I don't necessarily think that this is their fault because well, i mean i guess technically you could say it is because they also made the fucking arcade game but i just feel like there's there's like a point roughly halfway through the game where most of the levels just become a whole lot of gray just gray and sure that the streets though okay okay yes but if you compare that to the arcade okay so here's where i noticed it all right. And this is where it becomes very apparent. It's the fifth area of the game, which evidently is part of scene three. I don't know how they were breaking that up, but the, the park, the parking garage. Yeah, it's weird. Okay. Yeah, it's super fucking bland. Like, yeah, I, I get it. OK, it's a parking garage, so it's mostly concrete. Fine. But the majority of all of the vehicles in the background are also just washed with the same shade of light gray. Now, if you look at that same level in the arcade version it is super colorful all the cars are different colors the the box trucks have like tcri logos on the side like so obviously the arcade's capable of much more but i i just don't think you can blame this necessarily on the technical limitations of the nes because there are plenty of other nes games and and or even stages in this game that are more colorful and more interesting than this and it's hmm. particularly jarring when you come from the previous level which was exclusive to the nes version but it's central park where it's all it's snow covered and to me i thought that actually looked really good it had a bunch of white it did a lot of blue hues in it like you had the green treetops in the background with like the overcast new york city skyline like it i thought it looked really nice and then you're shunted into this parking garage where it looks like somebody turned off all the color. It's like you're watching I Love Lucy on like a CRT television. It's just fucking weird. No, I, I know where you're coming from on this, but I'm going to be a lot less harsh. Okay. Does this game look like a phenomenal NES game? Not a phenomenal one, but I think it looks it looks above average in terms of a graphical presentation. Mm -hmm. When you look at the turtles, I, I think their sprites are very representative of what was going in the arcade game. And I think like its greatest strength and also its greatest weakness is that it was trying to replicate what the arcade did. So it was trying to put everything in the arcade that it could in the NES game. Now, obviously you can't do that. Sure. You try to be as representative as possible. And in that sense, I think they did a fantastic job. If you take this game and you compare it to the original NES game, as I said earlier, it's night and day. It is. Yeah. The turtles look like what you want the turtles to look like in an 8-bit form, at least like back in 1990, if you put yourself in that mindset. Now today, yeah, it's an 8-bit game. You have to have that expectation. But you can tell you can tell they're the turtles from the cartoon show. The, like the foot soldiers look really good. They move. The animation is probably it's not perfect. It's very jilted and stuttery, like very few frames of animation. But this is a Nintendo game and you can tell they tried like when you fall into a sewer or, or a pit, 
like and how like they have three frames of animation when they come out of it. But at least they put something in there. Right. Sure. There's an effort that you see and you can say some of the levels are bland and I not I'm not going to disagree that there's some blandness to it. But I think that's just because they're trying really hard to replicate what was going on in the arcade. And yeah, arcade had the arcade had, you know, better background details, but that's because they they could. And they were just trying to be like, hey, this is the same level that you remember from the arcade and because it's a street and it's like, OK, what what the fuck are you going to do? So like, when they take some creative liberties, it really shows. And for the most part, I think, again, for an NES game, this is above average. It's it's very good. And it provides everything that you would probably want as a Turtles fan especially coming off the heels of a game that I think for most people was rather disappointing in terms of how the turtles looked or how your enemies looked. This is what you wanted to see. If you put yourself in the mindset of someone in 1990, this thing is exactly 100% what you want. Sure. So I can't knock the graphics really at all. I can't knock the backgrounds or the environments. Yeah. uh, Could they have done better? Sure. But this is the NES and you have to keep that in perspective. Uh, see, I still don't think that's an excuse though. I really don't because like I said, well, com- they comparably what's better for a beat up. It's not even comparable to what's better for a beat up. It's literally comparing levels within the same fucking game. That's my point is like they, f- okay, they, they front loaded it. That's what I was getting at is like the first level, right. right? You have, you have the fire going on. You have a much more diverse color palette as far as the backgrounds are concerned. Once you get into the final area with April, you have April in her iconic yellow jumpsuit. You have the books on the shelves in the background that are all different colors on the book spines. It's interesting. There's a lot of different color usage and they do it very well. And then you have a level. And honestly, a lot of what I'm harping on here really is that parking garage level because I'm like, what the fuck? Did someone just forget to use the paint bucket tool? Like, that's what I'm getting at (laughs) is that there's no excuse for that. Is that they put, you're right, you're absolutely right, I don't disagree. They put a lot of effort into this and I commend them for that. And you're 100% correct that it's everything a Turtles fan at that time could have wanted. I don't disagree. I just think it's like, you could have taken an above average looking game and made it a great looking game with just like a little bit of extra here and there. Like, I don't think it would have broken the NES hardware to give those cars parked in the background in the parking garage level some actual color and make it more visually interesting. I, I just don't I don't see the technical limitation argument there. That's what I'm getting at. It sounds like we need to play TMNT three, the Manhattan Project and and do a comparison because <laughs> I honestly haven't have played to. it. I'd love to see if we don't we don't have to. We probably should. But <laughs> well, apparently we got to do an ep- episode about the first one first. But yeah, you're right. We, we got to go back one, even though this will be the second one. We're already moving our way back. So <laughs> apparently fuck the third game. No one cares about that one because we just skipped that. Well, one. it's a lot. It's a lot like the movie trilogy. Like nobody cares about the third one either. So yeah, that's true. There you go. That, I mean, uh, yeah. Or Hyperstone Heist. That game blows. <laughs> we just lost all our Genesis fans. All right. I think I, I think we said enough about the graphics. Like, I think just to sum it up. Yeah, it has some flaws. I'm more generous on it than Shane is. But I, overall, listen, man, I opened up the segment by giving Konami all the fucking I'm credit saying, in the world. I was like, I'm just saying, y'all, I'm y'all more did a generous great job. than you. Y'all did a great job. I didn't say, I didn't say that you said it was bad. <laughs> I just said it was more generous than you were. That's all I said. All right, fine. Just, I just want it to be noted. This is one of the few times I'm going to go on record <laughs> praising Konami. That's all I want to say. <laughs> 
you can praise Konami all you want to until about like 1998 and then it yeah, starts to get sideways. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of flaws even back then. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving on because Konami sounds terrible. So maybe we should talk about how this game sounds, hey. which I think is a lot better than Konami. And I guess I'll start this one off. It's great. Yeah. Stage six, it, it, the loop is short and the level is long. So like it, it does make one a little psychotic mm-hmm. playing that stage. Just for the length of it, you will go crazy. It's bad. But for the most part, it was weird because I don't remember playing this game in a long time or really knowing any of these songs inherently. Like there's a lot of games that I have played over the years where songs stick in my head. And I, I don't think any of them from this game did. But as soon as I started playing these stages, I inherently knew all of the stage music like it was just second nature to me it was it was just one of those osts like if you've never heard it before it instantly sounds familiar now it does play on the same theme yeah yeah pretty much on every single level there might might be a reason for that yeah but there's there's enough variance in there that was like oh i know this one oh i know this one like wait wait what the fuck but yeah overall this is konami game from the nintendo era you're not going to get a bad soundtrack I don't care what anyone says. Even their bad games had great soundtracks. And this is no exception. Uh, Even I think the sound is pretty much standard. It doesn't. I don't think it did anything wrong, really. Everything was indicated properly. There's nothing that really was annoying. I mean, overall, the sound of this game, I think, is is like quality, man. It's up there. Oh, yeah. No, I, I actually totally agree. By all accounts, I think pretty great job, like across the board. Like I enjoyed Pretty much all of the stage tracks, some a little bit more than others. Um, you made a good point about six. I would say that Central Park was kind of meh, but also interestingly, that was one, you know, that, as we said, was included specifically for this release. So as was stage six. Yeah, yeah. true. That's a good point. So maybe there's a connection there. Who knows? Mm-hmm. The one thing and this is kind of what you were alluding to. I, I actually kind of have to give them props for working the turtles theme into almost all of the the backing tracks in this ost but doing it on each level in like a distinctly different way yes that's that's actually really fucking cool and at first i thought that they had started reusing tracks when i got again to the parking garage level because that one opens up with a very clear like yo this is the tmnt theme and at first i was like wait then are they is this recycled from like the first level? And so I went back and listened to the the earlier stage tracks and no, it's not recycled at all. It's just they're using that theme as like a through line through all of these tracks. And they actually did it really well. Like I, I have to give them props for that. As far as the sound design goes, I don't really have a whole lot to say there. I think you're pretty much on point. It's it's fine. Like I think it does what it needs to do. I will say that I do really enjoy the fact that the sound for a hit connecting with a foot soldier when it actually fucking connects is it's not just an impact noise, you know, like a, but like, it's, it's like that arcadey kind of like, like noise. It totally doesn't make any fucking sense, but it just, it sounds and feels good. So I, I do actually really, I really like that. Especially for the bosses, man. And this is something that I feel the turtle series has gotten right. Even including like, Turtles in time. Mm-hmm. When you hit bosses, it makes this noise. It's kind of like, wow. Yep. Yep. And it's just, <laughs> yep. 
I, I I'm sorry, wow. but that's that's how it sounds. But um, it's so satisfying, and it's here too. And it's just like the way they flash. I know we we didn't talk about that, but it just when they start flashing, you start knowing you're starting getting close to victory, and you hear that that sound is and every single time it connects. It's just like a motivation to hit them over and over and over again because it sounds so good, mm-hmm. and I love it. A lot of the sounds here in this game, and I'm I'm assuming from the arcade game, and I mean it's all connected. It's all part of the same series. It all does essentially carry forward almost identically into Turtles in Time. Yeah, there's there's a lot here that that's still in that game, SNES and the arcade game. And I mean, I think that's a testament because it doesn't sound too dissimilar here on the NES hardware than it does in the uh, SNES hardware, which is far superior. So like there, there are parts in this game, like when you die, it has the like the stars above your head and makes that sound. And it sounds almost exactly what you have in, in the Super Nintendo version. So good on them, man. I mean, no voice samples, unfortunately, at least I didn't. I don't remember any, but, you know, you can only ask for so much. Right. True. And I, I think overall, the sound design here is fantastic. Totally agree. Yeah. The, the other one that just came to mind was like the metallic doors opening, like an elevator door or something. That's like a very recognizable sound. And that's something that uh, mm-hmm. definitely carries through uh, all of those titles. So, yeah, no, they, they definitely hit the nail on the head on that one, I think. Oh, yeah. So I have some fun facts for all of you, mm. I guess. And I'm going to be brief here. I didn't find too many. Granted, I had a quick turnaround time on this, so I couldn't find too many. So there's definitely more out there, I'm sure. So to start off, the Japanese version of this game, and you can find this if you do a search for a long play, just look up, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on Famicom. It is significantly easier. Mm. There's less enemies on the screen. They take less hits to kill. It's a much easier game, much more balanced. And it actually looks like it's a lot more fun because of that. But uh, yeah, it's an easier game. So I would love to give that a, give that a spin and see what kind of game that is and see how much more I enjoy it. The NES, specifically the North American one, we already said it came with a coupon for a free personal pan pizza. Hell yeah. But it also incorporated Pizza Hut logos in the game for advertising. The most recognizable I can remember. And it's in more than I think just the first level, but it's definitely in the first level. Yeah. Where you have the Pizza Hut logo in there. Which is surreal. I don't think it's going to be there in the Kawabunga collection, which is about to come out. But at <laughs> the time of this recording. Yeah, I know. Right. Dating ourselves here. But yeah, I mean, the, the Pizza Hut logo in there again gives me all the warm and fuzzies for what Pizza Hut used to be. And that's great. Two of the bosses, as we've kind of already talked about, were created specifically for this game. Uh, but they weren't used in any Turtles media again. And that's Tora from Stage 3, who's a polar bear who throws ice at you and is a really a pushover of a boss. And Shogun, which is a pain in the ass in stage six. So they were designed specifically for this game and apparently only for this game because they never came out. Uh, But apparently they were given the blessing of the game's animator, who I can't remember the name of. And I know that because of our friends over at Still Loading Podcast, who did an episode on this game as well. You should go check them out. They're also going to be part of a project we have coming out. So go check out the Still Loading Podcast because they have a lot of fun facts in that episode as well. But that's all the fun facts I have. For us, Shane, back to you. Yeah, no, I mean, you you pretty much covered it. The only thing that I was going to bring up was the thing about the exclusive boss characters. Okay. Which seems like strange, I guess. Maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity that they weren't ever used anywhere else. And to my knowledge, I guess I don't <laughs> I don't 100% know their like canonicity as far as the Turtles universe goes. I don't know if they're considered canon or not just because they only showed up in this one game and never anywhere else. But I mean, 
their character designs are kind of cool. I mean, Shogun is a robot samurai, which is, you know, it's, it's cool. It's maybe a little a little generic. Redundant with metalhead. True. Yeah, that's a good point. But Tora being like an alien polar bear bounty hunter. I feel like they put more thought into that one than maybe was even necessary. But you know what? I like it. Like the fact that the instructions explain it. And he's just like, yeah, Shredder called up this fucking alien polar bear and be like, go make Central Park snowy. And like, this is why you guys never won. Like, whose plan was that? You can make him an antihero with climate change. Hey, there you go. That's right. We got to bring him back. Bring back Tora. Hashtag bring back Tora. Captain Planet turn Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover with Tora the anti-hero. <laughs> oh, man. Make it happen, Konami. Wait, I don't I don't think they can do that. Man, they ain't gonna do shit. It'll be a Pachinko machine fast shit, though. Oh, God. Uh, it's like you were talking about how the Pizza Hut, which, by the way, the Pizza Hut logos do show up in later levels. They show up in that Central Park level, actually. But yeah, they do. The other thing is, like, for even for the re-release that occurred of this game, I th- want to say it was like 2018 or 19 or something like that obviously the pizza Hut logos were all taken out and then i think the konami logo was replaced with the nickelodeon logo because nickelodeon owns teenage mutant ninja turtles now so oh, that's actually kind of poetic justice and it's still sad but i mean fuck konami yeah i don't know they deserve it yes Anyway, I suppose we should probably move on to uh, wrapping this up. Speaking about Konami, let's talk about what holds up today or does not. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. As we are wont to do, why don't you share your thoughts? Do you, do you think that TMNT 2, the arcade game, is something that uh, someone should go play today? No. Oh. So, look, Konami did all they could to bring the arcade experience home right but you had technos that was releasing your river city ransoms and your double dragon games and even renegade and they really seemed to had perfected the beat-em-up on the nes i mean even if you look at double dragon and double dragon 2 it seems like they knew better than to just directly bring over an arcade port like they were willing to make some changes and sacrifices to their own formulas in order to make it more compatible for the nes And so when you see a game like this come in and you just see it feel in terms of gameplay like a slight step back from other beat-em-ups on the system, I I don't think in terms of gameplay this is Konami's finest hour. I think there's a lot of other examples here that really do show what a game can be on the NES in terms of some graphical presentation and, and sound design. I mean, this is Konami, after all. But in terms of an actual game, in terms of how it actually plays... It's not good. And I know a lot of people out there are going to be like, yeah, but it's a Turtles game and I love it. And I'm going to be like, yeah, but have you played it recently? (laughs) It's just one of those things. I think that, you know, a lot of people get attached to IPs and they they have a lot of love for them. So they they assign more importance to these games than what they probably actually were in terms of quality, not in terms of like what it what it meant to them when it came out. But time has not been kind to this game. In, in any form or fashion, it's it's not a good game. It's it tries to be it really could be it has potential, but just some of the design decisions shoot it in the foot, I guess, pun not intended <laughs> repeatedly. And it causes it to fall short of being a game that I, I can recommend or say can hold up today at all. Yeah. Um. So so as someone who is attached to this IP and I never made any bones about that. 
does it hold up today? Sadly, I have to say no. If you hadn't gathered from all of my thoughts on the game up until this point, generally speaking, I actually have a pretty positive outlook on it, all things considered. The the one thing that really just becomes a showstopper for me in this is the combat. Having attacks consistently fail to connect by, by no fault on the player's behalf and forcing you to abuse a single super move for the entire game or just jump kick like an idiot the entire time. It's frankly, it's inexcusable, especially for a beat em up where combat mechanics are of absolutely paramount importance. If the hit detection were fixed and 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 maybe maybe the movement speed tweaked up like just just a little bit just a little bit then you know what i would i would actually genuinely enjoy and recommend this game like unironically but as it stands i i just can't and then with all of that coupled with the fact that an objectively superior game in tmnt4 turtles in time was released to home consoles just two years later there's really no defensible reason to suggest playing this game outside of just pure nostalgia. So if you don't have that, then Turtles in Time or more recently Shredder's Revenge, I think, uh, are the obvious choices for someone who is looking to, you know, get in there and and kick a little bit of shell. Nice. Speaking about kicking a little bit of shell. Thank you, everyone who listened to this episode today, because you all kick shell. We appreciate every single one of you. And we're going to close this one out. And as we do, uh, Shane already said once, so I'm not doing that again. <laughs> but as we do, Shane, yes. how about you tell all the peoples how to find all our other stuffs other than this podcast? Because, I mean, they're already here. So, hi. That, that is true. You are here. Hello. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you had a whole lot of very personal, positive feelings about this game, hopefully you're not raging too hard. I don't feel bad about it, though, but we're glad that you're here anyway. And if you'd like to engage with the show or, you know, maybe tell us how we've done a fantastic job or how we're egregiously wrong about this, then you can do that uh, in a number of different ways, actually. And fortunately for you, we make that very easy. All you have to do is head to Linktree slash Retro Hangover. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Retro Hangover. And you can choose the destination that suits you the best, whether that is our social media accounts where you can blow up our comments and we may or may not look at it. <laughs> or you could join our public discord and chat about things in there. Um, actually, as a matter of fact, at the time of this recording, I am looking at our public discord right now and I can see some some fine folks giving us some feedback about our most recently uh, released episode, which at this time was our interview with William Cage from Squire Games, which was a really great discussion. So if you haven't listened to that one, I highly recommend it. And I highly recommend you go and check out his game Fragrant Story on the 3DS. You might do need to do a little bit of monetary gymnastics in order to get some funds into your uh, Nintendo account now. Uh, and depending on when you're listening to this, that might not be possible anymore. But if it is, you should go do that. But at any rate, far as what we've got going on besides those things we also have a youtube channel uh, where we upload all of our content as well as vods of all of our twitch streams uh, which chris is going to tell you a little bit more about yeah so if you head over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover you will find us playing a game of some kind maybe shane is still playing lunar silver star story maybe Probably. it hasn't caused him to 
curse all of us, even though it's a good game. But he still may not like it because I don't think Shane just Shane feels the same way about old JRPGs, the same way I feel about first person shooters. So we'll see how long he lasts. <laughs> That's not true. Shane Shane has more patience than I do. Eh, it's debatable. <laughs> we'll find out. Either way, just show up there. We're going to be playing a game of some kind. I don't know what I'm going to be playing, but you know what? You never know. Just subscribe to the channel. Sometimes we might be playing a game other than Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Mm. So once again, go over there and go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover and you'll find us there. And by the way, we just need one more patron, one more. And I have already said I would commit to getting a capture card so I could play Wii U games for everybody because I'm just crazy. So if that's what you want, and maybe that's why we don't have that one. It's been a while. Uh, just, <laughs> just You could do that. But twitch.tv slash retro hangover. Back to you, Shane. All right. Well, I suppose with all of that being said, until next time. Play with your why does this guy who's throwing a spear flicker so fucking much joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.